If you have your copy of Scripture, if you turn the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. It's always exciting on special days like today, like Father's Day, Mother's Day, to be able to talk directly to men. Now, this sermon isn't specifically for men. I mean, it's designed for that. It's at that. But anything that I'm going to talk about today are just spiritual truth and value that everybody's going to need in their life. So, ladies, don't tune out. This is for you too. But I, but I think as I think about my life and I think about the things that I want for myself, I think most guys, we want to be a man after God's heart. We want to be a good man. We want to be a godly man. We want to be someone who makes an impact and a difference. But the reality is, as we kind of look at things and, and we listen to studies and we listen to things that most men don't feel that way. In fact, uh, there was a study done by the group called Man in a Mirror, uh, Patrick Morley. He says that 90% of men lead lukewarm, ineffective lives, and they hate it. That we're looking for something to give us the thing that we need to be the person that God has called us to be. And so if you don't hear anything else today, I want you to hear this. There's, if you believe in Jesus and Jesus lives inside of you, you need nothing else to be the person that God's called you to be. You already have it. So it's not something that we need more of. It's something that we need to give more of ourselves. We don't need any more of Jesus. What Jesus needs is more of us. And so very practically today, I want to talk through some things that would help us understand our spiritual life, our spiritual walk, and what it means to be a man or a woman after God's heart. I want you to look with me in Ephesians chapter 6. This is going to be a very familiar passage to many of you. We're going to start in verse 10. Paul writes to the Ephesians, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness and of the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore having girded your loins with the truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known the, with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul gets to the heart of the matter and the very first thing he says, be strong in the Lord. If there's anything that all of us, but especially men need to hear today is that we need to be strong in the Lord. This is not a suggestion it's a command. So you may ask, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to be strong in the Lord? Well, here's what it means. Here's what it means. God doesn't need and God doesn't want you to man up. That's the problem. Too much of Christianity, we hear like, act like men, be a man. 
And that's the fundamental problem that we have as men. We're acting like a man and we're not acting like Jesus. God wants us to be strong in him, not strong in ourselves. And so what happens in a lot of these sermons that we come in here and we try to pump you up and you're going to be a man and you're going to go out and take the world. Jesus already did that. God doesn't need you to man up. God doesn't want you to man up. What he wants you to do is to be like Jesus. Be strong in the Lord. I can tell you that every situation that I've gotten myself in, every problem that I've had in my life has come when I tried to be the man. I knew what I was going to do and I knew where I was going to go and I had all the talents and abilities I needed to do to get there. And then I made an absolute mess of my life. And what happened? I turned to God and said, God, where were you? He said, well, Michael, I thought you had it. I thought you manned up. This is not a suggestion, it is a command. Be strong in the Lord. And being strong in the Lord means surrendering everything to him and letting him fight your battles. If you wanna be a strong man, if you wanna be a good man, if you wanna be a godly man, you surrender. Give up. Now, doesn't that seem exactly opposite to everything that the world tells you? I mean, John Wayne wouldn't give up. Yeah, that's the problem. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. What gets us through this world is not our smarts. It's not our talent. It's not our strength. It's his and things go much smoother and things go much better. We live in more blessings when we surrender everything to him and let him fight our battles. It has taken me a long time. Now, I'm not gonna say I've learned this lesson. I'm still learning this lesson. But it's taken me a long time to understand and I hope it doesn't take you as long that God never intended for you to fight the battles you're gonna face in your own strength. He never intended that. He said, well, Michael, well, how can you say that? Well, he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. God never intended for us to face this world and what we have to give. God always intended for us to face this world and the struggles we have with his might and power. But to do that, we have to surrender. We have to surrender and let him fight. This question came up as I was thinking about what that looks like and what that means, but I want you to think about this. What could God do in your life if you got out of his way? What could God do in your life if you stop trying to man up and have all the answers and make everything work? What could he do? Let me tell you what he could do. I've never spoke to nothing and created something. He has. God spoke into nothingness. There was nothing around and God spoke and created stuff. I've never done that. How about you? 
God parts waters of massive seas and it doesn't cause them to sweat. God, you know, sends food on the people of Israel for 40 years. God raises people from the dead. God holds the universe into existence by his word. He doesn't worry about any of it. What could he do? What could he do if we surrender and let him fight for us? Well, Jesus tells us what he can do. There's a wonderful story where Jesus is on a mountain with Peter, James, and John, and he transforms into his heavenly glory. And they get to see him, and they are just awed by it. They come down off the mountain, and the other disciples have been all night trying to cast out a demon out of this child. And the father comes to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, if there's anything that you can do, and Jesus says, all things are possible for those who believe. What happens when we surrender? All things become possible because it's his might, it's his power, it's his knowledge, it's his fight, not ours. So Paul says, listen, be strong in the Lord. Not only be strong in the Lord, but be alert about the spiritual war that's happening in your life. Just like you can't face regular life on your own, you definitely can't face the spiritual battle that you're in alone. And good thing God doesn't ask us to do that alone. He says in verse 11, put on the full armor of God that you'll be able to stand Stand firm against the scheme of the devil, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the powers and the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. I have some bad news for you, some bad news and good news. Bad news first. You are in a spiritual battle, whether you like it or not. You are in a spiritual war, whether you want to be or not. In fact, I hear people tell me all the time, well, that's a Christian thing. I'm not a Christian. You're right. You're not. You're a prisoner of war and you don't even know it. Every one of us in here today is facing a spiritual war, whether you want to be in it or not. But here's the good news. You're not alone. You're not expected to deal with this battle with the resources that you have. You're in a spiritual battle and you have a whole world system that is set against you. See, the, the problem for us is, is that we've lived in this world so long that the world doesn't seem to be that bad of a place. I love movies. I love sci-fi movies, and one of my favorite genres of sci-fi movie is the dystopian future or where someone lands on a foreign planet. I love those things. And I started thinking about that, and I thought, how weird would our situation be if somebody landed on our planet and didn't know all the things that we know? Our planet would look really, really weird because we have a human race of people that hates each other to the core. Why? Because somebody lives on some dirt over here that somebody on this dirt over there wants that dirt too. 
or we hate them because their skin color is a little lighter or a little darker than ours is. Or we hate them because they have a different flag flying over their, their, their homes than, than we have. And we commit atrocities against one another that should never, ever happen. And yet we go on day after day after day and say, well, the world isn't really that bad. See, if you were dropped into our planet and began to see the stuff that's going on, here's what you would say. There's something messed up here. And that's when a Christian should show up and say, you're exactly right. This isn't how God intended it. This isn't how God created it. But sin has broken the world. And we live in a system that is broken and ruined by sin. And that system is completely against you. And yet we allow the things that we read and we allow the things that we hear and we allow the things that we see of this world to have more value and meaning in our life than what God says. You're in a battle. And the very air that you're breathing in the culture is fighting against the one who loves you. Now, you may be uncomfortable that I'm talking about spiritual warfare because, you know, that's only crazy stuff for crazy people. We've all heard the abuses of spiritual warfare and we think that there are demons under every bush. I remember I had a pastor tell me one time that he didn't go into a certain grocery store because that's where the demons went. It's like, I don't know about that. And so we dismiss it. We dismiss it completely. And here's the reality. I want you to understand spiritual warfare is alive and well. And Paul is writing to us about spiritual warfare after he's written to us about marriage and kids and working in the community and living in the community and being a part of the world. Here's the reality. Here's where spiritual warfare is. It's in our home. It's in our marriage. It's in how we interact and relate with our kids. It's when we go to school. It's when we go to work. That's where spiritual warfare is. Spiritual warfare isn't out there. It's in here. You're in a battle. You're in a battle, but you're not alone. And you need to understand that not only are you in a war, but you have an enemy that is hard at work trying to derail your life. I know that it is not sophisticated, it is not enlightened to believe in a literal devil. I hear that all the time. You're smart, Michael. Why, why do you believe in a literal Satan? Because God does. Because Jesus does. Because his word does. You know, the greatest trick that the, the devil ever pulled is to get us to believe that he doesn't really exist. You have an enemy that is trying to derail your life at every turn. And so many times we don't even fight against it. In fact, we welcome it. Yeah, come on in and blow my life up. Sure, here's the door. Listen to what he does. He has schemes and flaming arrows and spiritual forces. 
You know, so many of us will say, well, I've never seen the devil at work in my life because we think the devil makes frontal assaults on us. That his plan is to line up his army in a frontal attack and he comes at us hard in the front and we're going to fight that. And so because we've never had a frontal attack, the devil doesn't exist. Well, he uses schemes and flaming arrows. One of the schemes that he likes to use in your life is to lull you to sleep. There's nothing dangerous happening in your life. Listen, you can dabble in that all you want to. You're not going to get hurt. You're not going to get burned. I know that person in your life, they got burned, but you won't get, you're smarter than them. You're smarter than them. Nothing bad is going to happen. And here's the thing, it's probably happening to you right now. That guy on the stage has no idea what he's talking about. He's absolutely crazy. There's nobody after you. That's paranoia. Or he does it even better. He lulls you to sleep by saying there's nothing important that's happening in God's house with God's people and you definitely don't need to be there. I can be a Christian all on my own. I've got a Bible. I can go sit out on the golf course and read my Bible. I can go out in the woods and pray. And yeah, you can do all those things, but it's not being with God's people. But there's nothing important happening. You don't need to be a part of it. And he lulls you to sleep. And if he can't lull you to sleep, he tries to compromise your walk. He wants to destroy your intimacy with God. He wants to destroy your relationship with others. And he wants to destroy your witness before a watching world. If he can't put hobbies and friends and sleeping in and work and all sorts of other things to lull you to sleep and for you not to be actively involved in what God is for you to do, then he's going to say, okay, we got to be a little more direct. So I'm going to put people and stuff in your life to try to get you to fall. Now, here's the problem. When we give in to those things, we believe the great lie that he sells us. He's not called the great accuser for no reason at all. Here's what the devil does. He, he tempts you with one hand. Look at this. It's so wonderful and beautiful. It's going to give you everything that you want. It's not going to cost you anything at all. And you take it. And he traps you. And with the other hand, he begins to accuse Who do you think you are? I thought you loved Jesus. I thought you follow God. I thought you were a Sunday school teacher at Central. I thought you were a deacon. I thought you, how could you do this? And how will God ever love you? And here's the greatest lie. He snatches you into this compromise and then tells you that you can't get out. You've fallen. It's over. Give it up. He tells you that you're all alone. He tells you that nobody will understand. He tells you that if you ever admit that you're struggling, you're going to be judged. And listen, unfortunately, that's true in a lot of places. It's not true here. Here's how we undo the great lie. You are not alone. All of us have places in our life where we have compromised. All of us have places in our life where we are trapped. 
You can get help. And the help is so easy yet so hard. Here's the help. You have to admit that you failed. And nobody likes that, do we? We have to raise our hand and say, I have sinned. But in the moment that you say, I have sinned, God is ready to forgive you. He's ready to cleanse you. He's ready to make you new. So you have an enemy. He wants to lull you to sleep. He wants to compromise you. And if he can't compromise you, then he wants to use you to do his dirty work. One of the saddest things that happens in our life was when we recognize that we've been used by Satan to hurt someone else. And and see, it happens in these moments when we least expect it. As a husband, it's been in moments when I'm angry and I'm hurt and we're having a fight that Satan takes opportunity to put things in my mouth that come out that should never be said. And I wound my wife. As a dad, in those moments when something's happened and, you know, you're super angry and just like, I can't believe you did this and you're processing all these feelings and then you say or do something that you regret. As a church member, when we allow our personal preferences to overrun bringing people in for the gospel, I could pick a million little examples, but the reality is there's so many times when Satan is so sneaky and so he doesn't, he doesn't get us with lulling us to sleep. He doesn't get us with compromise, but in those moments of weakness, he gets to speak through us or act through us and destroys somebody's life. Listen. As a pastor, I hear all the time the horror stories that people have over leaving a church. And I hear horror stories of people walking away from the faith. And the high percentage of it, the reality is, is that they had a bad experience with a person. And that person wasn't Jesus. You have an enemy that's just trying to destroy you and derail you and destroy all those around you. And he's really excited when he gets a chance to use you. Be strong in the Lord. Be on the alert. And recognize that you can't face this life unprepared. My mom used to get on my nerves because from the time I was in kindergarten until I graduated high school, we had a routine every day. And that routine consisted of her on my back from the time that she woke me up until the time I got out of the door. And I hated it. Did you pack a lunch? Do you have your books? Did you do your homework? Did you do this? Have you got that? Did you think about this? Did you do that? And it drove me nuts. And it wasn't until I became a parent that I began to do the same thing that I recognized what was happening. She was trying to make sure that I was prepared to go into the world. 
She was trying to make sure that I had what I needed, that I had thought about what was coming and I had made plans to go out and face the world that day. And I know that my children, and if they were here, they usually go second service. If they hear, they'd be saying amen because I do the same thing to them. I know they don't understand that I'm trying to do the same thing. Are you ready? Are you ready to face the world? God's doing the same thing. Are you ready to face the world? Here's the hope. This is where we're not alone. And these are the things that God has done for us. He says, you can't face this life unprepared. And I don't want you to face this life unprepared. So here's what I've done. I've prepared something for you. And here's what I've prepared. The full armor of God. And I want you to think about something. Everything that we're about to talk about in just a moment is a gift of grace from God. Every one of these things is a gift of grace from God. And every one of these things is divinely powerful, divinely designed to face and defeat the world. Here's my question. Why would we ever walk out of our door without any of these things? Why? Listen, God has given you everything that you need to face this life, to live in this world and be godly. He's given it to you completely. No strings attached. He's given it to you fully. This isn't a payment plan. He doesn't give you a little bit and then you have to earn more. He gives it to you at the beginning, all of it. You say, well, I don't see this in my life. Well, the reason we don't see it is that we're not accessing and using the gift of grace that God has given to us. You cannot face this life unprepared. Put on the full armor of God. So he tells us, put on the full armor of God that you'll be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with the truth. Now what happens, the, Paul uses a very common uh, understanding that they would have seen. He uses a Roman soldier. You could almost imagine that there was one walking around outside the place where the Christians were meeting that Sunday when they were reading this for the first time. But he uses these whole things and listen, this is common. You understand what it looks like to be prepared for battle. Here's a Roman soldier. They're always ready to fight. So remember the belt, the belt of truth. What he wants us to do is to be set free by the truth. That's what gird means. In those days, they wore long flowing robes and if they were gonna fight, long flowing robes is not the best thing to fight in. And so they would take those things and they would hunch them up, they'd slap a belt around it and guess what? Now they can run, they can jump, they can kick, they can fight, they can do whatever they need to do. And girding your loins means cutting out the things in your life that are gonna trip you up. 
cutting out the things that weigh you down, letting go of the stuff that's gonna hinder you from doing what God's called you to do. And so here's what he says. The only way to do that is to have the truth. Jesus says in John chapter eight, verse 32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. For many of us, myself included, we don't take the time to let the truth cut away things in our life. And so we carry hurts and we carry pain and we carry sin and we carry shame and we carry bad ideas of who God is and who we are and we, we carry what people think about us instead of coming to the truth. Or the truth says, you are free in Christ. You are loved in Christ. You are adopted in Christ. You are new in Christ. You are powerful in Christ. You are forgiven in Christ. You are redeemed in Christ. And I could go on. We have to be set free by the truth. What in your life needs to be cut out? If we really accurately apply God's word in our life, what in your life needs to be cut out? What's tripping you up? What's tripping you up is not God's truth. What's tripping you up is your sin, your shame, your stuff. And the only way to be set free from that is to take the truth and let the truth cut it out. Be set free by the truth. Be wrapped in Christ's righteousness. He says, take on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. I love the pictures of Roman soldiers. They have these beautifully ornate, awesome breastplates that they wear. They're heavy, but they're heavy for a reason. They're made out of either, you know, hard armor plating and leather, very thick leather, it's to protect the precious parts of who you are, the critical parts of who you are. And I want you to see what you're wrapped in. You're wrapped in Christ's righteousness. It's 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that we be might become the righteousness of God in Christ. In the moment that you receive Jesus, in the moment that he becomes the Lord and Savior of your life, in the moment that you become new, God wraps you in the righteousness of Christ. And here's the amazing thing about being wrapped in the righteousness of Christ. Now, there is no condemnation for you. You are sealed in Christ's righteousness. There's no accusation. There's no condemnation. There's no humiliation. You are wrapped in Christ. When God sees you, he doesn't see you. He sees Jesus. You're protected. And the amazing thing is the purity of Jesus that surrounds us gives us the freedom to go live in purity in the world. See, here's the thing. I'm not 
I'm not living the life that I live because I'm trying to be a good person or I'm trying to be better than people. I live the life that I live and I do the things that I do because Christ has set me free. And I wanna live like him and I wanna live for him. And Peter, it tells us that, that those who've received this salvation purify themselves as he is pure. We are wrapped in his purity and he gives us the freedom to begin to purify our lives and live in purity before him. Be set free, be wrapped in Christ, stand firm in the peace God has given you in Christ. Stand firm having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. If you ever look at a picture of Roman soldiers, they had these pretty weird shoes. They look like golf shoes on steroids or baseball cleats with spikes. They created these shoes for them to dig in and stand their ground and hold the line. And God says the same thing for our life, but here's what he wants to hold us to hold in on. He wants us to stand firm in the peace that God has given us in Christ. He wants us to stand firm in the gospel. Here's what we stand firm on. You are at peace with God and that peace can never be taken away. That's something to stand on, isn't it? That's something to build your life on, that you are at peace with God and God is at peace with you and you can stand on that forever because it can never be taken away by anyone, even you. And because you are at peace with God, you can be at peace with others. So he wants us to stand firm. Stand firm in peace, but to stand firm in grace, to stand firm in love, and to stand firm in hope. When we are at peace with God, it gives us the freedom to go and to give grace and love and hope to other people because we've been given it ourselves. We can stand firm in grace and give grace to ourselves and to others because we don't deserve it. Radically changes our relationship with the world and with people. People are not something to be used, they are something to be graced. This world is not a means to an end, this world is a place where we shed grace and we spread grace. Now listen, what I'm about to say may offend and I'm sorry. But what happens is we have taken in the American ideal of you don't work, you don't get. Thank God he's not an American. Thank God that he doesn't subscribe to the American worth ethic. That if you don't work, you don't get. You don't earn, you don't deserve. God gives grace because we don't deserve it. And it is easy for us to look around at people and say, they don't deserve grace and I don't have to give it to them. Wrong. Wrong. 
You have been given grace. I have been given grace. And we are required to give grace to others. And here's the thing. We can pour out grace on others for the reason that they don't deserve it. Because guess what? We don't deserve it either. We stand in love. One of the things that I've been thinking about this last year that has really kind of opened my eyes is the lack of love that is around this world. The pandemic just put it on display. And I hope that there will be some changes, but I, I, I'm not, not totally sold on that yet. But here's the reality. When we stand firm in the peace that God's given us and we can then go and love the way that God has loved, we can truly love people. We can see them where they are and we can see what they're doing and we can see past all those things and extend love to them. I think the reason that we are struggling so much is that everyone is broken and this world destroys the image of God in us. And so we act out all this nonsense and what we really need is for us to take God's love to people and love them. One of my best friends sent me a message the other day. He said, I was listening to a guy and he said, it is our responsibility as Christians, as men, as women, to love others and make it awkward. To make it awkward by telling, by showing, by going, even when people are saying enough, you keep going. Because that's what God does. We gotta make it awkward. I just wanna be honest. This is tough for me because I do love people, but there are times when I just kind of go, yeah, that's too much, I'm, I'm not doing that. And I feel totally okay by that. Stand firm in love. And live out hope. I don't know what happened to Christian hope, but by what I read on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, Christian hope's gone. We've lost all hope. All we ever talk about is how evil and how terrible and how bad the world is. Do you know that every generation has said that? But it's always been the Christians who stand in those generations and say, you don't understand. Yeah, it's bad, but it's about to get better because he's coming back. Yeah, this is bad, but this isn't the end. He wins. He wins. This stuff doesn't win. He does. And so it doesn't matter the darkness that I see. There is a light coming that will drown out all darkness in victory. Where is that hope? Where is that hope? Listen, we cannot live in this world. We cannot be prepared in this world if we don't live in the Christian hope that it doesn't matter what's happening here. He is coming. And when he comes, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. Where's the hope? You need to hide behind your faith. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. 
Again, this is tough. We don't like to hide behind anything, but here's what he's saying. You need to hide behind your faith. He talks about faith being a shield and the Roman army was known for their shields. You could not crack their ranks when they locked shields together as an impenetrable wall and people would just rush against it and rush against it and they would be defeated. We need to get to the point where we hide behind our faith because our faith was given to us to extinguish the flaming arrows of Satan, to extinguish the schemes of the devil. Now, how do you hide behind faith? We have to have it. Let me explain to you what faith is. Faith is believing that God exists. Faith is believing that God is at work in your life. Faith is believing that he exists, that he's at work. And if you pursue him, you will find him and he will reward you. And it'll be greater than anything that you can ever imagine. He will rescue you. That's faith. And here's how your faith extinguishes those arrows. You get a bad diagnosis at the doctor and your faith says, yeah, but you don't know my God. have something going on in your marriage or in your life or with your kids and you say, my God is at work. I don't care what the circumstances say, my God is at work. And then you surrender. I trust you. I don't know how, I don't know when, I don't know where, but I know that you're gonna come through and I'm gonna wait until you do. Hide behind your faith. Now, it's amazing. We have these last three things that are kind of separated, but really they're all together. The helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, and prayer. He tells us to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And being sensitive to the Holy Spirit is the biggest offensive weapon that we have. We put on the helmet of salvation, which means we begin to listen to the Holy Spirit's voice other than the other voices in our head. And as we listen to his voice, he drowns out all that other stuff and he leads us in the right direction. And as we listen, we're able to take God's word and make it offensive like Jesus did. When Jesus faced temptation, he used one word. It's three words in English. And the three words he used were, it is written. It is written. You have to have the Holy Spirit's voice and you have to take his word and, and, and putting truth in your heart so that the Holy Spirit can bring that to use in your life so you can stand in the face of the devil and say, it is written and watch him flee. And then here's the wonderful thing. When we are sensitive to the spirit and he has our head and we are, are, are applying the word, all of a sudden what happens, we begin to pray in, by, and with the spirit. The Spirit prompts us to pray. The Spirit tells us what to pray for. And then we have this power of the Spirit in our life. We unleash God's power in our life and in our problems. You're not alone. God has given you everything that you need. And it's time to surrender. That's really what prayer is. Surrender. Surrender. 
I'm not in control. I don't know what to do. I can't go anywhere. Can't do anything. I surrender. So why don't we try that today? Let's take a step toward Jesus today. I want to read three prayers to you. And if any of these sound like something that you would like to do, you can pray these words. There are nothing magic about them. It's what's in the heart. But I'm going to give you a prayer of faith, a prayer of cleansing, and a prayer of obedience. And then I want you to respond after we're done. Here's the prayer of faith. Why don't we do this? Why don't you just bow your head, close your eyes. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need you to save me. I need you to forgive me. And I need you to make me new. I repent of my sin. I confess my sin to you. And I surrender my life to you right now. Be the Lord of my life and save me. Jesus, I confess my sin to you. And I ask you to cleanse me from the inside out. Restore my joy. Give me peace. And give me a passion to live in purity for you. Jesus, I ask that you give me the strength to obey what you are calling me to do. I surrender my life to you and to your will. I desire to be used for your honor and for your glory alone. If you prayed any of those prayers today, as soon as I'm done praying, I would ask that you'd come forward and let us celebrate what Christ has done in your life. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your love and your grace and your might in our life. And I just ask right now that as we have heard your word, God, and we've prayed these things, that you would help us to now move and respond. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.